What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to the Window Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, it's time to get serious. Last week, we played around with the concept of the wheel, a no-brainer system of betting the Stanley Cup playoffs if you don't want to worry about handicapping games. Now, it's time to break these teams down to their very core. I start with the Western Conference and go series by series on how I'm betting each, and then Chris Abbott from CoolBet joins me, and I grill him about what the sportsbook needs and how they're shaping their odds. It's a playoff preview West edition, Tanda to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Last week, we got into a Stanley Cup playoff preview of sorts, part one, I guess you could say, involving the wheel. And what the wheel is, is a term my friends and I have named for sort of our three, four part pronged uh, attack on how to just sort of bet the Stanley Cup playoffs if you don't feel like doing any handicapping, right? It's a system, some years it works, some years it doesn't work as well, but it's a system that is entertaining, right? So if you're betting for entertainment, you're betting, you know, 10, $20 at a time, and you are just really cheering for close, exciting hockey games, that's the system for you. We did that last week. This this is not that. This is the real preview. This is the preview that uses actual statistical handicapping, and it's going to be a two-parter. Uh, this one is the West preview, because according to the great philosopher Tupac Shakur, the West side is the best side. Uh, and previews are hard to time out. We saw that last week with the Major League Baseball preview. Uh, Chris Abbott joined me. We did close to two hours on the baseball season, and and we did it essentially the day before the season started. And you had over 24 hours to listen to it before at least the first two games got going, and 48 hours before most, uh, or I should say the rest of the teams got going. And they still managed to turn the season on its head by changing the format of who and how many teams would be in the playoffs. So we couldn't address any of that because we did the preview. And we waited as long as we could. We could have done it three, four days earlier, um, but we waited as long as we could and still wasn't early enough. So this is the disclaimer that there's still almost a week between now and when the hockey playoffs start. A ton of stuff can happen. Uh, odds are subject to change and will. They'll change forward. They'll change backward. It will be chaos, right? So we're going to do the best we can as far as specifics with regards to that. Uh, and, of course, any sort of news that comes down, you know, you guys are going to have to just adjust accordingly. And we'll try to give you uh, our take here on... You know, what those adjustments may need to be should they happen, right? But again, unprecedented times, unforeseen circumstances, literally every single day. So we're going to do the best we can with that standpoint. So let's start off with sort of the framework, the basics, right? Before we get into these series, we need to talk about how 
to handicap or how I handicap the playoffs for the NHL. And I've talked about how I don't bet during the regular season because you're relying on things to give you a result like shootouts and four-on-four overtime that are incredibly difficult to predict as you know, much as some may try to tell you otherwise, right? You have teams that are fine in the last five minutes getting that extra, you know, getting that guaranteed point, sending the game to overtime, right? You don't have that same frenetic push of two teams trying their hardest for the entire game, okay? So I don't bother, and I let the statistics pile up, right? I let the statistics pile up during the regular season so that I can come in after the season for the playoffs and have a really objective view on what these teams are about, right? I don't get caught up in who's, you know, hot, who this guy, this name, um, you know, who's going to win the Vesna, who's going to win the heart, all of that kind of stuff. I just look at the numbers and I establish what numbers are important to me. And then I work with those numbers and go by what they tell me. Right. So at the end of the day, we can blame the numbers if we don't have success or we can blame outlier circumstances or we can blame small sample size. We can blame a lot of things. But at the end of the day, a ton of stuff can happen. And this is, of course, is guess what? Unprecedented. Uh, we've never had a circumstance where we're accumulating these numbers and then we just stop for four months and then we start back up again. The bad news is, of course, these numbers were accumulated in some cases eight months ago, right? If you're factoring in October and November statistics. The good news is, is that these teams are what they are in theory, and we don't have to worry about who the hot team coming in. That outlier team that's put together a nice run in the last 10 games and trying to figure out what that means. Is that the team that made a run in the last 10 games to make the playoffs? and just barely got in, and now we have to figure out whether that's the team we're working with, or whether there's, you know, a letdown potentially, or, you know, are we finding more their mean for the season, or are we getting this hot team that um, is, you know, going to contend all of a sudden, and the NHL history is littered with those teams, right? Off the top of my head, the Los Angeles Kings from what 2011 2000 no 2012 or 13 you know who come in on fire or how about last year the st louis blues right a little bit longer of a sample size coming in from january to the end of the season but in a lot of cases you know ottawa senators from a few years back had a really strong end of their season and it ran them to basically within a goal of the Stanley Cup finals, right? These things happen all the time. So we don't have to deal with that. And that's actually a good thing. And I think that's better than it's, or at least offsets the fact that we haven't had statistics getting built up over the last four months. So grain of salt, but at the same time, this is sort of all we can do. And it's certainly better than just kind of going by your gut or your instinct or sort of your your own eye test because hockey you know is an emotional sport and it renders emotion with people and they can't think straight from that standpoint and that's why we love hockey we love watching hockey and that's why the nhl playoffs are arguably the best playoffs to watch right it sucks in people who don't watch the regular season because it is so compelling so 
what makes a team good from my standpoint, from my statistical analysis. And let's start with on the ice. Five on five to me in the playoffs is the most important uh, core situation, right? Um, a lot of these statistics, you know, people talk about obviously wins and losses is not a statistic, right? The standings are not statistics. Those are results. Those are cumulative results, right? And you work backwards. You go, well, how do you get wins? Well, you get goals, right? So then people go, okay, well, goals for and goals against are a statistic. Well, yes, right? But handicapping hockey analytics isn't about the scoring of goals and the giving up of goals, right? It's one step back from that. It's about getting and allowing good scoring chances. Now, goals, of course, are accumulated often on the power play. And during the regular season, there are more power plays available to teams than there are in the playoffs. So automatically, power plays need to be devalued when it comes to playoff hockey. Especially because while there are good power plays and there are bad power plays, power plays are also very streaky, or success on the power play is very streaky. And over the course of a season, sure, the best team might be at 25% on the power play, and the worst team might be at 15%. But if we're only getting three or four power plays per game in a short five or seven game series, how effective in total in scoring goals is that really going to be? Now let's do the math on this, okay? You've got, say, four power plays per game over the course of an average of a six game series, right? Let's, for the ease of numbers, uh, most series go six games. I realize the first round is going to be five games, but we'll just say, for the course of the seven-game version of the series. So six-game series, four power plays each. That's 24 power plays per team, right? If you're scoring at a 25% rate, you're getting six goals. If you're scoring at only a 15% rate, you're only really getting about four goals. So that's two goals difference over the course of six games. Well, I don't have to tell you, two goals over the course of six games, do some quick math on that, is only a third of a goal per game. And that's assuming that these power play uh, statistics and percentages um, bear fruit, bear accuracy in the playoffs. And they might not necessarily, because again, teams get hot, teams get cold on the power play. That also assumes that both teams are going to get the same amount of power plays over the course of six games. So you go, well, why would we assume that necessarily? Or in what way, why wouldn't we assume that? Well, how do you get a power play, right? Most often it's because you're put in a position or you put the other team in a position to take a penalty against you. And most often that's because obviously on five on five, you are getting the advantage more frequently than the other team. Or should say you're getting the advantage on the other team and they're, you're forcing them into taking a penalty right? In the playoffs, hockey needs to be played more disciplined. So penalties are really only taken or should say significantly more taken due to circumstance, not just being a dummy, right? And so if you are getting the advantage on five on five, you should be getting the advantage with power plays, right? How many times have you watched a game where the team is getting more shots and has more possession 
and they get rewarded with more power plays, right? There's nothing that says at the start of the game, nobody signed anything that says you have to have the same amount of power plays as the other team. So if you're on five on five and you're getting more power plays, let's say you get five power plays versus four power plays to the other team. Well, now all of a sudden you're getting 30 power plays over the course of a playoff series. And again, five versus four is negligible, right? It's 55%. So if you're outworking the other team, you're out playing them five on five to the tune of a 55% ratio, then it stands to reason that you should get 55% of the power plays. So now that you've got 30% of the power plays, even if your power play is only 15%, now we're cutting into that two goals over the course of six games, right? Instead of 0.33, now we're looking at something along the lines of maybe you know, 0.2 goals per game, right? Which is, you know, effectively you're getting one goal more thanks to your awesome power play than the other team is over the course of an entire series. Is that enough to make up for a deficiency five on five, considering that we're often playing five on five for more than two thirds of a game, right? If there's only eight power plays in a game, at maximum, that's, I shouldn't say maximum because it could be a five, a five minute penalty, but, you know, uh, at average, it's, that's only 16 minutes of the game. Well, there's 44 other minutes of the game where if you're getting dominated five on five over the course of six games, we're going to be able to make up that 0.2 extra goal that you're getting because of your power play. So for me, evaluating power play statistics is meaningless. So when you hear somebody in the mainstream media talking about, oh, their power play, you got to watch out for their power play. It's like, yeah, that might be the case, but that's not something that we can rely on statistically in a six game series because there is such a small sample size with that 20 to 30 opportunities that that team might get depending on their success level five on five. And if you're not good five on five, you're not going to get those power plays. And it doesn't matter how great your conversion rate is, within reason, of course. If you're converting 100% on your power play, then of course that's going to make a difference, but nobody's going to do that, right? And so there may be an outlier where some team converts 50, 40% on their power play over the course of a series, and it's just too much for the other team to handle. But that's not something that we can predict. We're looking for something that we can predict based on the stats that have accumulated over the course of what is usually an 82 game season, but in this case, a 70 game season, give or take a game, depending on the team. So what makes a team good in this case, right? If it's not their power play success, right? That power play success accumulated goals and inflated potentially their record over the course of the season. We don't care about records. I could care less about the seedings and the standings because none of that means anything. What I want to know is who's good five on five. And the metrics for assessing who is good five on five are as follows okay expected goals for and expected goals against what this is is a metric evaluating how many goals your team should have scored five on five over the course of the season so i'll tell you right now expected goals for the las vegas i should say the vegas golden knights were the best team in the league five on five at generating scoring chances, 
right? Generating scoring chances are essentially what we're talking about with regards to the expected goals for. And they were so by a long shot, right? They were expected to score 180 goals five on five. And you might say, well, they didn't. Why didn't they score that many? Well, there's a secondary element to expected goals for, and that's high danger chances converted, right? And that's pretty simple, right? Were you able to convert your chances, your scoring chances, in high danger zones, right? There's, there's shots, there's scoring chances, and then there's high danger scoring chances. And an average team will, will convert 13.5% of their high danger scoring chances. And anything below that, of course, is below average. And in this case, Vegas is 12.9% of their high danger chances converted offensively, right? So they should be scoring a little bit more given how many chances they get, right? And that's why they have a considerable lead over the second place team in this category, right? And of course, on the flip side, that means defensively, you want to limit the scoring chances that you give up. And that means you want to limit the expected goals that the other team should be scoring based on these scoring chances. Who is the best team in the league for that? The Minnesota Wild are the best team for limiting one's scoring chances, for limiting the expected goals against. And that shouldn't be too much of a surprise to many, although they didn't finish all that high in the standings. Now, why didn't they finish all that high in the standings? Well, we'll talk about them when we get to their series against the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, there's also high danger chances against by their opponent. High danger opponent chances conversion rate, right? How often does your opponent convert when they have a high danger scoring chance? If they convert a lot, that means your goaltender's probably not coming through at a league average and he's probably not making that quote-unquote big save. If they don't convert very often, that means your goalie is the quote-unquote standing on their head, right? Some of these work right into sort of the cliches that we talk about with hockey, right? The goaltending stand, the goaltender standing on their head. The uh, offensive player that would love to have that one back, right? Ringing one off the post in a high-danger area, that player would love to have that one back. Well, all that means statistically is that their high danger chances percentage goes down, right? You get 100 chances at the goal mouth and you're only converting at a 10% rate. Well, you should be doing better than that. That's just an example. Obviously, if you're getting more high danger chances than, the, than your opponent on average, that's good news, right? Vegas has a 59% high danger chance rate. That means their opponent gets only 41% of all the high danger chances. So if there's 50 high danger chances in a game, that means Vegas is getting close to 30 of them. That means the other team is getting 20 of them. So five on five, you know, you're getting 10 extra scoring chances, really, really good scoring chances than the other team. That's to me a greater advantage then at best a 0 0.2, 0 0.3 goal per game uh, differential that you might be getting on your power play. And let's be honest, most power plays 
uh, percentages. You know, most teams are within two, three percent of twenty percent anyway. So sure, you might have a twenty-two percent rate. The other team might have an eighteen percent rate, but that only shrinks your per game goal rate down even further to essentially next to nothing, to negligible when it comes to how often you would get a power play in the playoffs. So of course, a team like Vegas, given that they're getting all these high danger chances, they have a high expected goals for, means they also should get more power plays, right? As as a point uh, of an example for that. Um, So those are how we evaluate five-on-five play, how we evaluate these teams when all things are being equal, right? Expected goals for, expected goals against, high danger chances converted for, and high danger chances converted by one's opponent on average. For goaltending, there's a stat GSAA, goals saved above average. This tells you better than save percentage or goals against because you have all of those other sort of junk information that can pollute that stat for a goaltender and all the goaltenders out there are kind of shaking their head right but if you are saving more pucks relative to what you should be saving that's obviously pretty impressive if you are not that's not impressive you are not helping your team above and beyond And in some cases, you are hurting your team, right? If you are sub-zero, if zero is uh, league average, right? You are literally at the line of demarcation. Then you are league average at zero. If you are 15, if you are 20, above zero, you are playing awesome hockey. And we'll talk about one goaltender, Connor Hellebuck, this season. Second in GSAA this year. Well, that's just a stat that does nothing but show you how good Hellebuck was. And we didn't need that stat to know that Connor Hellebuck was really, really good in net this season. But it helps, right? It helps back up what we saw with our eyes in Hellebuck carrying the, the Winnipeg Jets into the playoffs, right? It augments that. There will be circumstances where your eyes don't necessarily agree with what the statistics are. But, no offense, I'm going to trust the statistics more than I trust your eyes, more than I even trust my eyes, necessarily. And there'll be some element of what we call narrative to some of this handicapping as well, right? I certainly have my theories about this restart, and I'll pitch those as we go along. But we're going to try to go against the narrative in most cases when it comes to these series. So all of this is relative, of course, to the odds for each series, right? There's a favorite, there's an underdog for almost all of these series. And we have to talk about what these odds are built on. And they're built on essentially different arms of perception right? Perceiving this team to be good, perceiving this team to be bad, right? These players to be good, this goaltender to be good, this goaltender to be bad, right? And the perception year to year is slower to adjust than the actual statistics are. And that's the case for most any sport, right? And we just sort of brush it off as good years, bad years, et cetera, et cetera, right? But players have their peak and players have their valleys, right? They move up, A lot of times they start pretty high and it slowly gets worse, 
right? That 40 goal scorer that's a 40 goal scorer in his first season, you know, often never gets back there, right? And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But again, the point is, is there's a lack of consistency in human beings. That's, you know, what is made of human beings is inconsistency. So what are these built on? They're built on perception and the perception is created from what? The standings, of course. And if you're building your perception on the standings, you're doing it with wins in shootouts. You're doing it with wins in a four-on-four overtime. That isn't a real thing when it comes to the playoffs. You're building it on essentially a different version of hockey, right? Playoff hockey is different from regular season hockey. So why would I use that perception in any way, shape, or form other than to essentially fade it? right? People will say goals for, goals against, right? They'll try to go a little bit deeper than just points in the standings. And that's fine. I appreciate them going a little bit deeper. But again, those goals for and goals against are built on a shaky bedrock. So what is predictive, right? If I'm not watching the games and I'm only, you know, compiling the stats, you know, what is predictive? And I just think that it's five on five success, and everything that stems off of that five-on-five five success. And we can't account for outliers. That's just going to be a thing that happens. And we can't account for small sample size. That's just going to result in some wonky, you know, results, frankly. And listen, none of this has to make sense to you. If it doesn't, that's fine. Take as much or as little as you like from it. But if this does make sense to you, then follow along and we'll sort of see how it goes. At the end of the day, all that matters is what do you believe from a narrative standpoint and what do you believe from a statistical standpoint, right? What are you buying into with any of this? Goaltender stats, to me, will be the hardest to replicate. That is something I believe in, right? I believe that there is no guarantee a guy like Connor Hellebuck will, you know, take right back from where he was in the regular season and just be awesome still right? He may be awesome again at some point. He may be awesome again next season. But how individually is he affected by this layoff, to me, is the hardest thing to handicap, right? To me, everyone individually will sort of regress to the mean statistically, right? So Connor Hellebuck might not be bad, but he it's hard to imagine he would still be really, really great, right? He might just be really great. He might just be regular great. He might just be very good. But it's hard to imagine that he will be in peak condition. It's hard to imagine anybody will be in peak condition, right? Everyone, I believe, will sort of revert to the mean for this period of time. I believe that scoring chances will be lower and goals will be harder to get under the same circumstance under the same theory that if everybody's regressed to the mean obviously it's impossible for them to be in peak condition right there is no way no matter how hard they're skating in this sort of training camp circumstance there's no way they can be at march late march early april levels of conditioning and for me hockey is a game where the conditioning and the practice and the will of a team 
is what creates scoring chances, right? It's not like basketball, basketball or football, where defense is the product of hustle, right? Hustle and intensity is required on defense in those sports. In hockey, offense is where that intensity is required. It's required to go into the quote-unquote dirty areas, go into the corner and battle a guy just to get a brief possession of a puck, going in front of the net, you know, skating around guys, skating through guys, right, to get that puck as close as possible. It is really hard to score goals in professional hockey and especially the NHL. So in order to be really difficult, you have to work really hard. And you have to get your conditioning level up, your intensity level up. Well, it's not going to be the usual levels, in my opinion. Now, some of the totals will be brought down just because it's the playoffs. But as a general theory, the unders may be a good play across the board. It's hard for me to imagine teams scoring at a rate that is going to make overs profitable. That's just something that I believe, right? That is a narrative standpoint belief, right? So these things do come into the mix. And when I'm trying to find an edge on some of these numbers, that's what's going to have to happen at times. And we're gonna get into the statistical edge, believe me. One of my other beliefs is that young teams will have an advantage. And I sort of think of it like uh, the teams in the World Cup who, you know, we fire up this World Cup in September, and a lot of times the veterans are sort of still working their way. They're not used to having to play high-intensity hockey in September, where the younger guys are, because the younger guys are used to going year-round. They're used to having these tournaments in the summertime. Uh, you know, there's international tournaments, all that sort of thing. And they're just younger, right? Younger legs. To me, that is an advantage. So now that we have a framework for what we're talking about and the importance of five on five hockey, let's dig in to these series prices in the West. And let's start with Calgary and Winnipeg. It's by far to me the most interesting one here. Uh, and here's why. From an odd standpoint, it seems pretty split, right? Uh, we've got sort of the biggest discrepancy um, I shouldn't say the biggest discrepancy, but at one point we did have quite a big discrepancy in that Winnipeg um, was a plus 130 underdog. Um, you could grab Calgary in some spots at like minus 110. So from a hold standpoint, we talked about synthetic hold last week and figuring out, you know, sort of how the sports book are making, you know, is making money off of us. And so in this case, for a long time, if a lot of these series, in fact, six of the eight series at, some, at one point actually had a positive hold for us when we talk about the four sports books that we use, Bet365, CoolBet, Sports Interaction, and Pinnacle. And you were able to actually get a positive hold, which means that if you wanted to, you could bet on both sides and make a couple of dollars no matter what the circumstance. Now, over the course of two, three, four weeks here, everything is sort of tightened up, um, but there are some outliers, and this series is certainly one of them. 
and Calgary is minus 120 in a couple of different spots, and Winnipeg is plus 120 over at Coolbet. And the fun part about this preview is at the end, we're going to talk to Chris Abbott from Coolbet, who was on the show uh, for a longer period of time, uh, was kind enough to join us for an hour and a half about baseball. Um, but he's going to come in at the end of these episodes and talk about the sports books side of things with, uh, you know, where they're vulnerable, why they are at where where they are at when it comes to uh, the different odds. So I'm looking forward to ask him why that they're the market leader uh, with regards to the high end of Winnipeg at plus 120. And, you know, what does that mean with regards to the money that they're taking in on Winnipeg? Does that mean they're not taking enough money in? Does that mean they want people to bet on Winnipeg because they feel pretty good about Calgary? I don't know. We're going to ask him. It's going to be interesting, I think. But when it comes to this series from the numbers standpoint, here are the realities. Five on five, the Jets are the worst team in the NHL. And I know that's sort of a lot to kind of grasp, but they are literally second last in both categories of expected goals for and expected goals against. Second last of all the playoff teams. That's not great. They are third last when it comes to converting those chances. I should say, excuse me, they're fourth last when it comes to converting uh, those chances. In the high danger chance, they are the worst team as well. They only get, of all the chances in a hockey game, they get slightly less than 40% of them. So for every 10 high danger scoring chances... They are only getting four. The other team is getting six. I don't care how good your power play is. If high danger scoring chances are going against you at that rate, it's not good. So why, of course, are they in the playoffs? How did they make it somewhat comfortably into this group? Well, we talked about him earlier. Connor Hellebuck, second in the league in GSAA. Essentially, the standing on their head metric right so if you think that the winnipeg jets are going to perform better than what they've performed up to this point you are going to need him to either stand on his head more than he has already or the winnipeg offense and the winnipeg defense are both both going to have to get considerably better on the flip side calgary fifth in the league in high danger chance percentage at 55%. So any average team, any team that they've played this season, they're getting five and a half out of the every 10, and they're giving up four and a half for every 10. Well, that's a really, really big problem if you were the Winnipeg Jets, because you're already up against it with your 40 to 60 ratio, and you're going up against a team that's a 55 to 45 ratio. So really doesn't look like anything's going to change for Winnipeg from that standpoint. And Calgary is sixth in expected goals four. So what you're looking at with Calgary here is a team that, if given the opportunity, can score and they can get chances. And if you're a team like Winnipeg, where you are giving them up, you're in some big, big trouble. And so on the surface, a lot of people will tell you, oh, this series is a coin flip. It could go either way. 
And a lot of people will tell you if you can grab plus 120 on a 50-50 series, that's great value. And you'll hear that from me about some other series coming up. But this is not one of those series. Calgary minus 120 is an incredible value. And again, we don't often associate value with being on the minus side. But it happens quite frequently. Because I've got Calgary winning this series close to 70% of the time. And 70% comes out to around minus 250. Not minus 120. That's a massive, massive edge. Now, it's a five-game series and anything can happen. You know, obvious caveat. But to me, that's a huge edge and one worth betting essentially our max level of bet. You know, whatever your max level of bet is. You know, let's say it's two units, right? We talked about one unit, two unit. We talked about maybe if you were a $20 better, right? One unit, $20. In this case, $24 to win 20. So two units, $48 to win 40. To me, that is a good bet. With Winnipeg being in the, on the only team to be in the bottom five and to being dead last in high danger chances and going against a team that rates in the top five or the top six of offensive categories. Now, you might be concerned about the Flames goaltending, and I'm here to tell you that it is essentially league average no matter who is sort of playing. Maybe a little bit above average at times. So that's not great, right? But that just increases the narrative value. Right? When people are talking about Hellebuck and saying that the Jets have the, have the uh, advantage in goal. And that's true, statistically. right? But history is littered with teams that had the advantage in goal, but just left that guy hanging out to dry in the playoffs. The other thing is, people don't like that Calgary lost last year. Right? We always sort of use the most recent thing you know that we've seen and in the case of hockey playoffs the most recent hockey playoffs are the most recent thing that we've seen right like as much as we sort of sit around and follow the regular season and kind of go with the ebbs and flows there in our mind's eye we see calgary as heavy favorites going out in the first round in five games to colorado last year now, if you really look at that, is that really that bad of a loss, right? Sure, Colorado was the lower seed, Calgary was the considerable favorite, but we can all agree that Calgary was punching above their weight from a standings versus statistics standpoint last year. And Colorado is the better team this year than Calgary. So it isn't like we're looking back going like, how did Colorado beat Calgary? It's like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. And again, history in the NHL will show you in a ton of circumstances that the upset in the first round really wasn't as big as it looked when we factor in the following few seasons, right? A lot of times that upset is by the team that is on its way up. And that was the case for Colorado last year. So if Calgary was playing Colorado, yeah, I probably would not be taking Calgary, but they're not. They're playing statistically the worst team, five on five, remaining in the playoffs. And you could get into the players that they've lost, 
Meyer, Myers and, and Bufflin on the back end. Um, we could speculate how, you know, what to, what to expect from Patrick Laine. We can do all of those sort of narrative things here. But I think the core, at its core, people are thinking about past playoffs and Winnipeg being successful and Calgary not being successful. And they're ignoring the root statistics that Winnipeg 5-on-5 five five is just not a very good hockey team and has been getting bailed out by uh, their goaltender this entire season. Let's move it down the road in Alberta to Edmonton. Edmonton and Chicago, in theory, an interesting series, right? Narrative. Let's talk about that. Kane and Taves versus McDavid and Dreisaitl. Essentially kind of a coin flip there, right? Oh, what if Chicago gets Corey Crawford back? At the time of this taping, we don't know yet whether Crawford's going to be back. There's been some issues about whether or not he's going to be ready to go. Um, Has he skated with Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. And on the surface, you look at it, the, the odds, and you go, wow, okay, Chicago, a pretty significant underdog here. And with their experience relative to Edmonton's experience, taking a flyer on Chicago at plus 150, plus 160 looks really, really attractive, especially when you compare it to maybe other series of that same sort of price range. But the reality is, is that while the two, three, four guys on Chicago have a ton of experience, the rest of that team is pretty young. But is that an advantage for Chicago, right? Their expected goals for was fourth in the league. And they actually were quite a bit subpar when it comes to converting high danger chances. And so that is why they were relatively low in the standings relative to what their expected goals for were. The other thing, the other reason that they were super low in the standings relative to their expected goals for is that they are the worst team in the playoffs from an expected goals against. Now, that shouldn't surprise you all that much, right? That's, I mean, they're even worse than Winnipeg in the expected goals against. So they're going to need a really big showing from Crawford, who did not rate, as much as we're all sort of worried about whether Crawford comes back, is he going to come back and make, you know, all that sort of thing. He didn't rate in the top 10 in GSAA, right? Our primary goaltending metric. So they're giving up a ton of scoring chances, and he's playing only sort of slightly above average. And yeah, they're getting a ton of chances. That's great. So I don't know that that's enough for me, even though Edmonton, from a ranking standpoint in both categories, is an incredibly mediocre team, five on five. That shouldn't surprise you either, right? Obviously a great power play with McDavid and Dreisaitl. That makes total sense. But we're not getting anything special from them from goaltending. We're not getting any spe- anything special from them in either way, five on five, right? So while... I'm going to pass on Chicago plus 150, plus 160. I'm certainly not going to bet Edmonton at minus 170, you know, and upwards, right? Even some cases upwards of minus 200, minus 220. No, thank you. Hard pass for me on that series. But from a game-to-game perspective this does sort of reek of high scoring. And that shouldn't surprise you either because the total for the first game is six. And it's the only flat six 
available in any of the series, right? Some of them are sixes, but they have, you know, juice to one side or the other, but it's the only true flat six where you can bet over or under at roughly the same price. To me, that may be a bet worth making, except for my general theory of unders across the board. So that is going to be in its entirety a, not a stay away, but a watch and sort of learn, right? And we'll watch that first game and see how that's played. That first game will be incredibly interesting. Are there an abundance of scoring chances the way we expect them to, to be? Um, are there a ton of, you know, more, more than average power plays being generated because uh, both teams are getting scoring chances? And, you know, is Chicago overmatched? Is, you know, or is Kane doing Kane things, right? This will be one for the eye test, knowing what we know statistically about these teams, right? You can use the statistics to go into a series or a game and look for things that you are hoping to find. Either, I shouldn't say hoping to find, but hoping to have a decision on, right? Uh, allow the game to show you what the statistics, you know, what, what, what the result of the statistics should be. And for me, that's a circumstance in this one. This is a stay away. Uh, don't be coaxed in to Chicago just because of those odds, because I can promise you that's why the odds are as high as they are, right? They are that high because the metrics aren't as good as the sort of eye test or sort of the reputation of Chicago is. If you wanted to bet Chicago in that first game plus 135, I gotta be honest with you, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't be against that. In a small sample one game where, you're, where you know your team is going to get scoring chances, plus 135 to me is a lot better than plus 160 over the course of any uh, series, whether that's seven games or the five game series that we're dealing with here. Next up is our least favorite series in the West. Not a ton of attention uh, being sent over to the Nashville and Arizona series. And from an odds perspective, everybody's pretty seemingly agreeing across the board here that Arizona is the underdog, but not significantly so, as you can get them around plus 115. Nashville, of course, on the flip side, uh, favorites at about minus 130. Reason, of course, that the Predators are favored is their reputation and their recent history, right? They have a good solid 10 years or so of being consistently in the playoffs and doing some damage in those playoffs, right? That's probably why they're favored. Well, from a numbers standpoint, nothing wild here, but both teams are thoroughly mediocre. Now, you might have expected one or both teams to actually rank in the top 10 from a defensive standpoint, five on five, but that's not actually the case, right? Neither team is actually in the top 10, 12, 15, really, uh, on either side. Uh, and that includes high danger chances as well, right? Both are sort of hovering around the 50% area. So you have very evenly matched teams here, and it actually brings up an interesting exercise here. So what we're going to do here from a, a whole here is I'm going to give you two groups of five goaltenders and you would pick which group of five that you rather have representing you. Okay. Group one, Pekka Rinne of the Predators. 
Murray of Pittsburgh, Bobrovsky of Florida, Dubnik of Minnesota, and Holtby of Washington. Okay, Murray, Rene, Bobrovsky, Dubnik, Holtby is group one. Group two is Rask, Bishop, Kemper, Vasilevsky, and Ranta. Which group would you rather have? Now, you may be saying to yourself, listen, I know Rask has had an incredible season. Halibut's had an incredible season. I think it's probably that group. But I'm passing on a group that includes Murray, Rene, Bobrovsky, Dubnik, Holpe, all guys who have had strong or relatively strong careers. Well, those two groups are essentially the polar ends of the GSAA statistical spectrum. And that's Murray, Rene, Bobrovsky, Dubnik, and Holtby at the bottom of that spectrum. So all of that is to say Rene is one of five guys who are notable names who have actually hurt their team relative to other goaltenders in the league this season. Will we see Rene even starting for Nashville? Because the other option is a considerably better one, even if that's still an average option in UC Saros. But can the Predators actually go away from Rene in this situation? On the flip side, Darcy Kemper or Antti Ranta are both in the top 10 in GSAA. So that's not just the Coyotes playing good defense and keeping their numbers down. It's their goaltending above and beyond the majority of the NHL and playing better hockey. And so when I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, there's five on five. There's not much you know, to speak of between these two teams from high danger scoring chances and expected goals for. Neither are great offensively, neither are great defensively. But Arizona actually has two better options than the two options that Nashville has for the season. And when you factor in that we are getting plus money for Arizona, unlike Winnipeg, where we wouldn't, we, you know, you would hear, oh, let's just blindly take Winnipeg because you're getting plus money because you think it's a 50-50 type of series. This one actually is a 50-50 type series with Arizona being, having some value at plus 115. So not a max bet by any stretch of the imagination, not a Calgary level bet necessarily but certainly a good solid wager on arizona knowing that we're probably getting five to ten percent of value sort of depending on what your prices are i've saved vancouver and minnesota for the last of the four series in the west why because i didn't really want to get there i didn't really want to talk about it vancouver historically uh, biologically geographically my team and a return to the playoffs after several years of being out of the playoffs. It's a new team, different from the team that was essentially the most successful Canadian team of the last 20 years. And when I saw the matchup of Minnesota on the surface, I was like, I don't think Minnesota's very good since when, you know, why would I think that they're any good? I was excited that they had a relatively easy path. And I think that is the core narrative here for a Vancouver team that is exciting right uh young super young team and certainly checks the box when it comes to my young team theory right a veteran laden minnesota team that has sort of done nothing but really kind of 
fail. Uh, I know I've bet on them a handful of times over the last five to ten years, only to have them sort of crap out. Occasional success in the first round, but never getting any further than that, never further than, than the second round. And people don't like betting on the wild year in and year out because of that. And these young Canucks, you know, exciting team, uh, will be more interesting to watch if they get into sort of the core bracket of the playoffs. Uh, but a team that really benefit, benefited arguably more than anyone from the stoppage, right? It, Markstrom had gotten hurt, um, they were banged up, and it was starting to look like their, you know, slight hold on a playoff spot over the course of the season's final 10-12 games might fall out of their hands. Well, they get a sort of reprieve here and get to um, take on a team that not a ton of people sort of have a lot of regard for. And it pains me once I look into the stats, once I look into the analytics, but the Canucks don't do anything special five on five. Carried a lot by their power play. Of course, Quinn Hughes, uh, a big deal with that. And they're actually on the lower end of both sides of expected goals. And by lower end, I literally mean the end in that they're sort of fifth last of the teams that are remaining in the playoffs, right? We're talking about into a level not quite as bad as Winnipeg, unfortunately, but pretty close. And they're facing a team in Minnesota that at least does one thing out of the two well. Minnesota actually has a worst expected goals for than the Canucks. That shouldn't come as too much of a surprise. But as mentioned in the intro, Minnesota has the best expected goals against of any team in the league. And again, why would Minnesota have the best expected goals against but be so relatively low in the standings, right? If you are the top team at five on five defense, you should be at least in the top four in the conference. So why aren't they? An incredible statistical outlier is why they gave up 18.5% of high danger chances converted into goals. So we talk about what the average is, right? Or the median, I should say. So the median scoring four is 13.5. The median to give up uh, goals from high danger areas is 14%. So they are almost 5% more likely to get scored on from high danger areas, which means, of course, that their goaltending is doing them nothing. And that's why Devin Dubnik ends up in that group of overrated, you know, veteran goaltenders in Rene, Murray, Bobrovsky, and Holtby, because he's not coming through. They're, they're goaltending as a whole is not coming through for them when it comes to high danger chances. And so while they're not giving up very many, the teams that they're playing as a group, right? This isn't just one team we're talking about. This isn't just what the we expect the Canucks to convert. This is every team they play and on average. They give up the most goals in the league by quite a bit. And so somehow the Canucks at least have a advantage an advantage in net with Markstrom in that he actually shows up 10th in uh, in GSAA which again is our main goaltending metric that we use 
And so essentially what we've got here is the Canucks hoping that Markstrom plays well, but to me this feels like a sort of light version of the Jets hoping that Connor Hellebuck can carry them a long way. Because again, if Vancouver isn't creating the chances that we are hoping that they create, um, that's not that's not going to be very good when you're going up against a team that does not give up very many scoring chances. So if you're combining not getting a lot of chances and against a team that isn't giving up very many scoring chances, you know, not to say that it doesn't matter that the high danger conversion rate that Minnesota gives up, right? How bad their goaltending is. All that, all that means is their goaltending just has to improve a little bit to get to league average that will put the Canucks at a significant disadvantage, right? They will be below average in scoring. Well, they're going to be below average in scoring if Minnesota improves even just a little bit in net. And if Markstrom regresses just a little bit in net, that's a really big problem for the Canucks because they give up so many high-danger scoring chances. And if you look at the high-danger chances percentage-wise, Minnesota at 55% is in the top five, which isn't surprising because they give up so few, right? They're not at 55% because they're giving up a, you know, a lot, but they're getting a lot. They're at 55% because they're giving up so few and getting just enough to be at that 55% rate. So statistically, Canucks are in some trouble here. And this is looking a lot like, and maybe even more so from a danger standpoint, a lot like the Arizona-Nashville game. I should say the Arizona-Nashville series, where you're looking at a team that's getting plus 115 and isn't any you know, worse than a coin flip uh, against a team that will be overrated simply because of the interest in that team, right? And of course, geography factors in as well, right? If we are Canadians and we are betting into Canadian accessible sports books, then we are competing for prices with other Canadians. And other Canadians are betting on the Canucks. At least I think they are. Again, we're going to talk to Chris Abbott from CoolBet here after the break. And he's going to break down uh, you know, what the splits are for each of these teams. Um, for me in the West, as uh, in general, uh, I have to talk, of course, about the number one seed here. And how just kind of crazy this is going to be. Okay, quick shout out to my guy, Neil, over at Hundo P Productions. If you're on Twitter, Facebook, I think it was even on LinkedIn, you probably saw the sweet tease videos that he created for my interview with Chad Millman. Great job by him over at 100P Productions. He can help grow your brand with cool videos like that that help promote your product or your service. Uh, contact him over at Hundo P Productions to help boost your brand and get the next level of video marketing. www.hundopproductions.com or at hundopprod on Instagram. Don't just post, inspire. Okay, Chris Abbott is back and this time we're talking NHL playoffs and where the money is going with regards to some of these series uh, 
for the the restart and we're going to go series by series. We're going to find out where the money is going on each. Is there a significant uh, position that the sports book is going to even really take? Um, we could talk about round robin odds. That's going to be a bit of a wild card. Um, and then we'll talk about conference or Stanley Cup odds. And I'm going to throw a couple of theories at Chris as we go. Chris, welcome back yet again. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Yeah, it's like, it's hard to believe that the NHL is ready to come back and we're just jumping into this playoff run. So um it's it's kind of nuts but it's kind of exciting at the same time yeah we're doing it like uh hopefully nothing crazy happens in the next couple of days but uh yeah it's just such a it is really a bizarre feeling isn't it that we just have all of these things going on baseball's fired up over the weekend and now we're dealing with you know nba's coming but like more importantly hockey playoffs like how, how did we get here <laughs> i don't know i mean it's it's yeah i don't know like we talked about it on the on the baseball show but kind of going from like searching for things to bet and now trying to trying to take it all in and even from a sports books perspective like trying to make sure we promote the right things and and we have the right odds on everything it's uh it's really kind of you know starting in the middle of the highway kind of thing so um, yeah. yeah, let's see what happens here. Yeah, so what we're going to do here, we're going to do the West today, because I'm a Western boy at heart, and then we're going to do the East tomorrow. Um, and we're going to talk series prices here. And my sort of, first thing I noticed when all the series prices came up way back when, this was, and this was like a good month plus ago in a lot of spots, was nobody has any idea what to expect, right? Like they were literally places that had different teams favored for these series right like one book would have nashville favored one would have arizona favored and then like sort of things got sort of ironed out over the course of a few weeks and now things are a little bit sort of more you know consistent throughout various sports books that we have access to and for you guys like have you had to change the odds much because of money coming in that's sort of a general a question for you know across the board here let's start with the canadian matchup because why not uh calgary and winnipeg um you guys when last i looked had calgary minus 143 and winnipeg plus 120 you guys have the best odds to attract winnipeg money are you getting that winnipeg money or is it because you've gotten so much calgary money is there anything kind of wacky going on there at all yeah no for sure i mean uh one of the thing with one of the things with our odds makers is we try not to copycat other sites. We try to come up with our own. So I think that's a benefit for the player. Uh, you know, either a, we get it wrong or B we offer a more attractive price uh, for you to get in on. So uh, I won't say, I shouldn't have said a, we get it wrong because we get it right more than more than we get it wrong, but <laughs> sure. Uh, oftentimes different than what you'll see uh, across the board. So with this one, yeah, Winnipeg did open up as an underdog. The money uh, or the price kind of stayed the same. And it's not because we had so much risk on Calgary that they opened as an underdog. Um, specifically talking about this series, uh, 90% of the bets that we've gotten have been on the Jets. And of course, I think you can say that had something to do with the plus 120 price being the best in the market sure um i've appeared on radio shows in winnipeg so they're familiar with the site um and and even like you know radio 
personalities in Winnipeg are are saying like, hey, if you want to bet on the Jets, go to this place. So from okay. a PR perspective, it's worked out really great for us there. Um, and, you know, conversely, we're not getting much in the way of Calgary bets because I'm sure people are finding better prices elsewhere. The interesting thing is you might think, well, maybe they've got a lot of risk on Calgary to win the Stanley Cup. So they're, they're maybe trying to mitigate it. Well, actually, the best possible scenario for us right now is if the Flames win the Stanley Cup, we would profit the most. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. So um, Flames not getting a lot of love. No, that land, I guess. But well, that's and that's because we all saw what happened to them last year, right? Like people have, you know, they have long memories, but they also have short memories, right? In this case, like they, they, what they saw most recently is, you know, sort of how they bet, right? And sort of one of the tenants that we sort of talk about here is like, don't just bet what you, what you saw most recently. And secondarily, you know, one of our sort of core mathematical tenants is shop and search for a, a synthetical hold as low as possible. And in your case, you guys are the arm of the Winnipeg Jets in that searching for a synthetical hold where you can get Calgary minus 120. So if you're getting Calgary minus 120 over here and Winnipeg plus 120 with you guys, like you guys are sort of responsible for our creation of that synthetical hold Be you know, between those, all of these sports books, right? So that doesn't surprise me at all that you'd be getting the most um, money. So is there any, is there any idea of, you know, we should probably move that line a little bit? Or are you guys comfortable being so heavily on, you know, on Winnipeg? Well, one of the things we talked about on the baseball show was being uh, attractive to Canadian betters with Canadian teams. So I think that is part of it. The fact that, hey, people from Winnipeg, and Manitoba uh, like this price and they're coming to bet it. So we're going to leave it there for now to see, you know, how many more people we can attract there. Um, we have lots of players from Alberta on our site as well, but they're, uh, they're putting their money on Alberta's other NHL team. So I don't, I don't see us right now um, looking to change the price here. Like I said, 90% of the bets, uh, it's our biggest risk and it hasn't changed yet. So we'll see what happens as we get a little bit closer to puck drop. But um, right now, I don't think there's any plan uh, to change it too much. Okay. And so you're basically, at that point, from a, from a sports book standpoint, you're cheering for Calgary, both from a micro standpoint and a macro standpoint. So you mentioned the other team in Alberta. Edmonton and Chicago is an interesting series. And again, in talking about a synthetic hold and you know which arms of which sides – you guys are also the arm for Edmonton. So it doesn't surprise me that people are more interested in betting Edmonton on your site because at minus 161, the last time I looked, that is the best price out of the sort of four sports books that I talk about um, being the most accessible to Canadians. So, you know, it, it, you said, oh, like Albertans are, are more into Edmonton. Is that just because of the Connor mcdavid Dreisaitl combo or like how much... How much do you put into sort of the fandom versus sort of what I'm talking about with, again, being the best price for Edmonton, you know, on the street, so to, so to speak? Well, it's interesting, you know, because uh, the Oilers may be perceived as a big favorite in this series. And I don't know that they really are just from a NHL analysis uh, point of view, but 
Uh, yeah, people have certainly flocked to the site. Uh, and while it's not our biggest risk right now, we have seen that line move significantly since the last time you checked. We've actually got the Oilers now at minus 192. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and the Blackhawks at plus 160. So the action of the betters has moved this line uh, in, uh, in, for, uh, in so much as the risk that our bookmakers are willing to take. And, uh, yeah, they, uh, I'm just looking, there's a couple of notes there. So just making sure it doesn't get too, too far to Edmonton. They wanted to, uh, to move the line a little bit. What's the percentage then you'd said 90, 10 for Winnipeg in that series. And obviously this was enough, you know, sort of a you know, tale of two situations here where you have, uh, moved it closer and in some cases past where the market is with Edmonton. So, you know, is it a same, similar deal where it's 90-10? It's more. It's uh, like 93 and a half. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So that uh, ultimately they, they had to try and garner some more uh, money on the Chicago side there, I think. But, um, yeah, that's it's getting pretty high now. Oilers to win by uh, one and a half series spread is plus 120. So okay. there might be some value on the Blackhawks there now. There might be. It's funny, like I talked about earlier that, you know, early on, you know, the Blackhawks always kind of, you know, catch your eye, right? Like the, you're kind of looking at them, you know, when you see them, you're like, oh, they could kind of beat anybody based on sort of their history, right? But then when you kind of dive deeper into the metrics, that Edmonton looks a lot better than the Blackhawks from that standpoint, right? So I can sort of see why their price was low to begin with and then has kind of gotten away a little bit there. But it is still minus 170 in a couple of spots. Uh, so that number, you know, you guys are no longer the arm of Edmonton. <laughs> so you guys can at least breathe easy uh, from that standpoint. And you actually kind of become the arm for Chicago. So it's a good example for everybody out there to sort of see how a sports book works from the, an internal standpoint going like, okay, we were the arm for Edmonton for attracting bets there. And then things got, you know, so lopsided that, you know, you moved it to a point where it surpassed odds for Chicago on the flip side. You said what, plus 162, I believe? Uh, plus 160 even, yeah. 160 even. Okay. So yeah. And that's still right now, you know, are now the best number for Chicago. So um, you know, just a good example is you may now see a bunch of Chicago money kind of come in between now and the start of that series. And that's the idea, right? Yeah, I was looking say, to that's sort of even exactly it up. Exactly what they want. Yeah. Right. Sure that's the point. Have, uh, so equal risk on each side. But I think you might be right in terms of, uh, you know, our focus to be um, attractive to the Canadian sports fan. And of course, uh, the guys in Edmonton are passionate. They, their time is certainly now, if not. Uh, um, you know, approaching very soon, but um, yeah, so that's that's where it's kind of sitting at now. I mean, from a personal perspective, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd bet this series, but I'd take the over in every game because it looks like Corey Crawford's going to be out. You never know what you're going to get in net for the Oilers, so I'd be I'd be looking at a high scoring series. Yeah, and and it's reflected in the in the total um, being one of the I think maybe the only one right now that is a pure six when it comes to that first game um, with sort of even money on both sides right some of, there are some sixes out there but they're sort of juiced uh, one way or another I should have asked you like do you have a lean for the Calgary Winnipeg beyond sort of a you know taking one for the team and kind of hoping you know for the sports book that Calgary wins that yeah like, do you 
Is that worth a bet in any, in any way for you? Want Calgary to go all the way to the final. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it's a tough one for me. I would uh, think I would take that to go four or five games maybe would be how I, how I play that. Um, I, I don't know that there's value in betting on Calgary, but I don't know that Winnipeg gets it done. So um, I think it's going to be intriguing. I think Winnipeg has better goaltending. Calgary maybe some better defense, but they will miss Travis Hamanick. So uh, it's really hard to say, man. Not to mention that this is a totally uncharted territory as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fundamentally, this whole thing is a complete sweepstakes. I talked earlier about Winnipeg and their reliance on Connor Hellebuck and how, to me, that's sort of you know, a really dicey uh, circumstance for them to have to, you know, hope that he is still in the form that he was when this all ended um, because the, you know, the statistics that I hold, you know, uh, to, at, high, at high value, um, you know, don't look good for Winnipeg uh, unless he stands on his head. And uh, I actually, you know, again, talked earlier about how I like Calgary a lot there. So, um, you know, cool bat and I, as, as an entity can, uh, can hang out and watch that series <laughs> yeah, together the, without uh, getting into a fight. One of the things with Winnipeg that I think uh, really may get exposed in the playoffs is the fact that they no longer have uh, the twin towers of Tyler Myers and Dustin Bufflin, and they also lost Jacob Truba. And I yeah. don't know that that hurt them as much as it probably could have in the regular season, but clearing out the net front and stuff, while maybe not against Calgary will be that important because they don't have the big bruising forwards, but as you get through the um, the Western Conference, I, I think the Jets will be in a little bit of trouble on their own end. Yeah, and I mean, obviously the home ice advantage that Winnipeg has, that is from a sort of a narrative standpoint, that hurts them as well. Um, I just, you know, and statistically, again, I, I again, talked about it earlier, uh, they are the actual, they're actually the worst team in the playoffs for five-on-five metrics that I use to sort of handicap this stuff. So, um yeah, as mentioned earlier, I like I like Calgary a lot. So, um, so let's get into some of these other the others, right? These would be the ones that would be like, you know, back in the old days. These are we talked about the CBC games, and now these would be the TSN games, right? That are you know, simulcast from the U.S. or uh, you know, it's total afterthoughts. But back in the day when TSN would get the American teams playing, and, and CBC would hoard uh, all the Canadian ones. <laughs> That's right. Um, Nashville and Arizona, uh, least interesting of the entire group, I think, for our listeners, for most people in general, um, and even from a statistical standpoint that I talked about earlier, these two teams couldn't be more mediocre um, with regards to the five-on-five metrics that I use. Uh, Arizona, a small underdog. What do you guys have this at right now? Uh, right now for this series, we're looking at Nashville minus 130, Arizona plus 110. Okay. Um, and frankly, not getting much interest either way. Um, two thirds of the bets are on a little more. 70% of the bets are on Nashville. Um, okay. But not, not a whole lot in the way of money. We do have some uh, bets on a Nashville Stanley Cup win. We've taken 91 bets on them to win the Stanley cup, which is, uh, you know, that's top, top tier when you look at the number of bets we've taken in. So that's too uh, many. Yeah, that's we, too many. We do, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just the not way for you guys. That's too many for human yeah, beings. That's just too many uh, bets on Nashville as the way the, the risk works out. Like it wouldn't, we'd still profit if they won the Stanley cup, uh, but, sure. uh, it'd be a small profit. So we do have, uh, you know, some risk on the, on those guys. 
And a pretty consistent across the market opinion with regards to the odds here. There isn't a ton of, um, you know, disparity between different different websites. And that's, again, probably because there just isn't a ton of interest in that series in general. Um, interest is at its maximum for me as a British Columbia uh, born and raised. Uh, Vancouver and Minnesota, the fourth series out in the West. Um Kind of a disparity here. Are you guys still right around even on both sides for Minnesota and Vancouver? Uh, yeah, it's actually moved a little bit in the last few days. I think we were minus 109 each side earlier yeah. in the week. Now we're at minus 118 Vancouver and even okay. money for Minnesota. That makes sense because you would be, you know, as talked about, the sort of synthetical hold arm you'd be on Vancouver, which, you know, for Canadians – uh, you know, you're sort of doubling up there, right? You're the you're they're the best price, and you're the best price on the Canadian team, you know, versus the American team, and a team that not a lot of people have a ton of regard for in the Minnesota Wild. Um, yeah, this was certainly a wild, you know, pardon the pun, price. Um, you know, as as recently as just a few days ago, when you guys had them sort of, you know, even on both sides at minus one hundred nine on both sides, and there was some plus one sixteen out in the out in the mix for Minnesota. Um, so actually, a positive hold. Uh, you know, when it comes to the better, right? Like that, you you could make money without doing anything. You know, not a ton of money, but plus one sixteen versus minus one hundred nine, of course, is is what we're looking for as far as creating synthetic hold. So for you there, you know, you're getting money on Vancouver, of course, in part because they're the Canadian team, in part because again, you're the synthetic hold, you know, of Vancouver. Um, do you have a personal opinion on this? And is like, what's the liability for you know the Canucks? So even long term, Vancouver is the team that we've taken the most bets on in the okay. uh, in the play in round or the qualification round, um, and second most risk for us is on the Canucks, and uh, I guess that's why the the line has moved a little bit. But uh, still, yeah, like ninety five percent of the bets on this series we've gotten are on Vancouver. So um, yeah, some some risk there, uh, and then when you talk about Stanley Cup. Uh, with Vancouver we actually haven't got much in the way of bets on them for the Stanley Cup at all but people do seem to be fired up about them here in the first round Uh, I think the fact that Jacob Markstrom is back and healthy is big for them Um, actually and and anybody who was banged up for Vancouver because when they were flying high they were healthy then they had some injuries slowed down right before the shutdown so looks like uh, everyone's back on the Canucks here well, and it's also sort of a complete disregard for Minnesota too, right? Like I think it'd be a different story if the brand name of like a Chicago or even a Nashville, which is slowly becoming at least sort of a more respected brand name, um, especially out West, you know, w- when you're looking at that and you're going, oh, they're facing Minnesota. I think a lot of people kind of go like, that's kind of an easy, easiest out that they could have expected. And I think plus, you know, Vancouver, like you sort of alluded to with the injuries, they did well to have the break that they did right like that could have things could have gone south there in that last month and we might be looking a lot different absolutely uh, at that sort of thing okay so that's interesting from the four series standpoint you guys have odds up for the round robin in the west right these are kind of fun because i mean 
man, if we didn't have any idea what was going to happen in the actual playoff series, we certainly don't have an idea of what's going to happen in this round robin where we're looking at regular season rules, right? Like, don't think you guys, you know, you guys out there are done with the shootout because the shootout is still in the mix here because these games are going to be played under regular season rules with a shootout. Uh, what's your current number as far as who's favored in that four games? And we should mention Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, and Dallas are the four teams. Yeah, so St. Louis and Vegas are co-favorites at plus 225 each. Uh, Colorado at plus 250, and then Dallas plus 525. Um, and maybe not surprisingly, we've not gotten much interest in this market uh, so far. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, like, because nobody really knows, right? Right. Uh, it's hard to say what will happen. So we're uh, while we're seeing some pretty good action on the on the series prices and some futures, uh, this isn't a market that's uh, that's garnered a lot of interest. But I'd I'd be interested in your perspective. Do you think there's money to be made there? You know, I haven't played anything in that uh, area. Um, I think I've talked about earlier about how Vegas is the best team of that group, according to my uh, numbers. Um, but at 225 as sort of a favorite there, um, I don't know that I'm all that excited to bet on that because I think in general, all of these teams are pretty darn equal, right? And I understand that Dallas is sort of the offshoot of the four and I get why they are 525 and that is a really good price for Dallas. And so that would sort of have me lean towards grabbing Dallas in that circumstance, because a lot of this is too, you know, it's kind of preseasony for them, right? Like these teams aren't playing do or die games while the others are. So some of the rules don't necessarily apply both literally and figuratively, but, you know, and Dallas can be a team that will shut you down. And if you don't necessarily, um, come to play. And here, I'll give you this as a sort of theory and see what you think about it. I have a theory that when it comes to the playoff portion, right, the do or die portion, the under on a game to game basis is going to exceed, you know, from a record standpoint, the overs, because it's really hard to score goals, right? Yeah. Like, effort and um you know fitness and all of those things that are important for defenses in sports like basketball and football right like we sort of talk about the nba in and out of the all-star breaks or at the start of the season when teams aren't super locked in to play tough defense and then they crack it down for the playoffs right well it's sort of the opposite for hockey right like in basketball you can't just throw the ball down the other side of the court right where in hockey you can it's really hard to score so in these games, like if they aren't in mid-season peak physical condition, which they aren't, right? You can't be. They, it's just impossible for them to be in the same shape that they were come March or early April had the season gone on. And so when you look at some of these higher defensive teams like Dallas, who will grind you a little bit more sort of stylistically speaking, like they don't have to you know, have anybody ask them to play a defensive game. They will do so voluntarily because that's just the style they play. Whereas you look at these other three teams and they're considerably more offensive, you know? Yeah. And so I would, with you there. yeah, like I would lean to Dallas at 525 there. I had personally have Dallas from a Western conference standpoint from back at the start of the season at plus 920. 
So, you know, the only thing that does sort of interest me because the number is so much better now at sort of 655, you know, 550 or an even plus 500, like I have the best of the number already on Dallas for the entire you know, Western conference playoff. So I don't know that I'm necessarily going to double dip. That would be the only thing that sort of prevents me, but you know, I'd probably sprinkle a little bit on Dallas at 525, even though I acknowledge that Vegas is the best team from my, from my standpoint. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely bang on in your assessment, especially of the defensive grinded out style. I think um, sometimes in preseason, we see where everyone's not sharp, that the totals are kind of high. But uh, in the NHL, where totals generally drop from six and a half to five in the playoffs, um, I think you're right. That defensive uh, mindset is easier to ramp up, and it'll be a lot harder for the skill guys to get that part of their game back. So um, I think you, I think you're bang on there. And I think uh, Dallas again is a team they were overlooked last year, and they gave St. Louis a hell of a run, and uh, maybe getting overlooked a little bit this year as well. Okay, so from a macro standpoint, uh, is there any team in the West that you have a significant liability on when it comes to uh, Stanley Cup, when it comes to the Western Conference, um, or, you know, anything else for that, for that matter? Uh, believe it or not, the Blackhawks, are, have we have a significant risk on them to win the conference at 49 to 1, and Again, it hasn't been a ton of bets, but I think it's more along the lines of uh, the fact that it's 49 to 1. And, sure. Uh, you never never really know. Um, also, some decent risk on the Oilers and the Avalanche. And uh, the Avalanche are also the team that we actually have the most Stanley Cup risk on right now. Oh. Um, they're at plus 900. But, uh, yeah, if they win the Stanley Cup, it'll be a real bad day for cool bet. Mm. <laughs> okay. That's somewhat surprising to me what do you you know are, are you sort of do you agree with that like what's your take on Colorado uh I'm a believer in uh in that team um I'm not a believer necessarily in their goaltending so much uh sure. Grubauer and Francouz so uh, you know and oftentimes so often comes down to goaltending but um, they're 18 skaters. I think are as good as anybody in the league. They're top end players. Miko Rantanen is a, is maybe the one of one of the most underrated players in the league. So you know, I think uh, there's definitely an opportunity for the Avalanche to be dangerous there, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, it's a toss up in general, and 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 to be honest, like we could probably do this again once all the top end seating is done and once all the uh you know obviously all the series are finished and we actually have a more legitimate you know eight team field that we're sort of used to right like there's so much kind of out of control right now that we don't really kind of know what we're even really talking about with regards to a potential second round matchups right there's no bracket like there normally is where we go oh you know these two teams could be an amazing second round um, situation or anything like that. And so, back, sorry, uh, Matt, back to what we were talking about earlier with the Dallas Stars. Uh, we've actually, so we've taken the most action on the Avalanche. Dallas is the team we've taken the second most action on, sitting at 14 to 1 right now. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, we have, uh, in the Western Conference, I should say, sure. um, we have uh, a pretty big risk on them. Actually, no, uh, in terms of the entire league, uh, Dallas is uh, our second biggest risk for the Stanley Cup right now. 
Okay. People love in Colorado. People love in Dallas. That just, uh, no offense to people out there, but that makes me feel better about Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for Vegas, actually, yeah, we'd be fine with Vegas winning. We'd make a tidy little profit. We've got some bets on them, but um, <laughs> we'd still make money if Vegas, uh, if Vegas won. The teams that we wouldn't win money on right now in the West are Colorado and Dallas, as I mentioned. Uh, Edmonton would cost us some money, and that's about it. So our risk is actually spread out uh, fairly well. Um, just, yeah, Colorado would be would be crippling at this point. I mean, that's all subject to change as well. Sure. Well, let's let's go ahead and put the paperwork in then for Vegas to uh, make the Stanley Cup Finals. Is that <laughs> is that not how this works? Just... Uh, it works for me. I mean, I know we're not the biggest book out there, so I don't know how much sway we'd get. But uh, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't we didn't didn't we put the paperwork on something in golf recently what was what was that i don't you know had, that, that was a, you had somebody Johnson, outright no we both had we both had dj but i think you had somebody to win the tournament and i had like a long shot gary woodland top five and it was like you you get the win i get gary woodland into the top five it was uh oh geez it was the justin thomas oh man that, yeah, Justin, right. Thomas I, Morikawa. I uh, and, hedged with Morikawa the morning of or the night before. Yeah, um, thankfully, because so, that would have been a heartbreaker. Well, I know. I was watching it, and I was like, well, I'm not going to win as much as I would have, but it's still a decent amount, and uh, that was just hard to watch, absolutely. And then Morikawa comes out, same course, week later, and was terrible. Yeah, yeah, of course, because that's how it works. Yes, you had Justin Thomas to win. I had I had Woodland to win as well, but he was sort of way off the pace. Um, and I needed him to just get into the top five. And we sort of agreed that if Thomas could get the win, I could get the top five and we could send that into the uh, the commissioner of betting. And it actually sort of worked out, I mean, part because you ended up hedging with Morikawa. So let's just go ahead and do the same thing. Vegas into <laughs> the finals and everybody's happy. Uh, so that's it as far as the West is concerned. You are back again for tomorrow to do the Eastern Conference rundown with me. Uh, so thanks for doing this and we will see you or listen to you tomorrow. All right, looking forward to it. Talk to you then. Okay, and thanks again to Chris Abbott for joining us. Always informative. Looking forward to what, hearing what he has to say about the Eastern Conference. So just to sum it up, a uh, big Big bet on Calgary to beat Winnipeg in that series. And, of course, we'll be all over them sort of game to game, uh, especially if we're getting minus 110, that kind of area. That series is essentially going to be the key to our success in the West. Uh, no play series-wise for Edmonton and Chicago. Um, wouldn't be against uh, a potential Chicago first game bet there uh the over is certainly interesting even if i kind of think theoretically unders will be um you know most prominent in the playoffs uh at least certainly in the first round uh arizona smaller bet sort of regular bet on arizona plus 115 over nashville um worth sort of going game to game with them as well for another unit here and there uh as they look to be around plus 105 110 uh in each game that they play remember again no home ice advantage so we're not going to get a huge swale uh sway of different odds um as the venues continue uh, consistently change uh the numbers should stay roughly the same 
um, maybe some changes based on sort of how we see uh, how we look at these teams after each game they play. Uh, and then finally, Vancouver and Minnesota pains me to say it, but their value is on Minnesota here, plus 115, very similar to Arizona, where I think you uh, make a small play on Minnesota. As for the West uh, number one seed tournament thing, um, definitely Dallas plus 525. Um, certainly, I've, I've been convinced that's got to be the place to go, um, at least for a single unit bet. Uh, from that standpoint, we'll hope Flurry gets one game for Vegas. Uh, hopefully, he does badly, and then Leonard can take over. Uh, I think that's the ideal ideal circumstance. As I've got Vegas uh, winning the West, um, and a, and a value bet on Dallas that has uh, has since doesn't really have as much value as when I and when I bought it. Hey guys, what's up? Just to let you know, if you are listening to this on Apple, for some reason the Eastern preview got just ejected from the feed. Don't know how or why that happened, so if you want, and why wouldn't you, if you want to listen to the Eastern preview, which of course is an absolute roller coaster, especially when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens, uh, hop over to Spotify or literally any other podcasting uh, service and hopefully that episode is over there because for some reason it's not on apple thanks a bunch that's it for the view on the western conference we're back with the east and boy is that going to get wild next up until then i'll see you at the window